Welcome to episode 38 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And we're coming in hot after a pretty exciting 3-2 win for the Blue Jays. They sit 8-5 and five atop the AL East. Stoughton, obviously the first topic for today's game is Kevin Gosman. How did you feel about that start <laughs> and, uh, and sort of the beginning of his Blue Jays tenure? Yeah, I mean, how can you not feel really good about that start? Like he, uh, you know, Fenway's not an easy place to pitch, and uh, uh, you know, he looked like the guy that, that the Blue Jays gave a hundred million dollars to, or a hundred and ten, or whatever, whatever that figure was. Um, it was really encouraging. I mean, it was a shame that he wasn't able to get the the complete game, but he was he was efficient. He was you know in the zone constantly. I think I saw that he like like eighteen balls on eighty eight pitches, something ridiculous like that. Um, Splitter was working. Uh, he said after the game on the broadcast, you know, he was he was really pleased with his fastball command. Uh, was just really on the corners, but in the zone, and uh, and, and you know, kind of a, just a dominating performance. Even though you know there was there were a few hits here and there, but it didn't really. Boston never felt threatening until the ninth, and, and you know, and he was out of the game. Yeah, it felt awfully threatening at that point. Actually, <laughs> a um, bit, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Gosman's been fantastic. I think he brought something like a zero point seven eight FIP into the game. I know that he'd had some hard contact against, and to be honest, that's you know bringing contact down. The quality of it is not really what he excels at. Like he excels at getting guys to chase outside the zone. Mm-hmm. To be frank, striking guys out, missing bats, like that's his game. He's not a like prime Ryu forcing soft contact guy. So that was never really a concern. But in this game, he did both. Like he pitched strikes, he limited hard contact. Even though there are quite a few hits, the contact generally wasn't that bad. He missed a ton of bats. I think there's sort of this perception of him that 2021 was such an outlier that there's some skepticism, especially because he started that year so strong mm-hmm. and he ended it kind of poorly. But the reality is that he was also really, really good in 2020 as well. Like there's a reason the Blue Jays have wanted this guy for a long time. And whenever you have a pitcher who like it's funny because we always compare him to Robbie Ray, and right now looking a lot better than Robbie Ray, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, he's a very different pitcher. Like Ray is all about sort of coming at you and kind of brute force and ignorance, and Gosman is really about deception. He's about getting guys to chase. So there's always that worry: is like, is that gonna run out at some point? Are people gonna get too familiar and stop being fooled? And you know what? Like so far, I think he came into this game with a hundredth percentile chase rate. They chased a lot in this game, so he's probably still right there. And there's not a lot of concern surrounding Kevin Gosman right now. And I also like the way they handled the managing, you know, bringing him back out for the ninth inning. I think a lot of guys around baseball at this point with that pitch count that he was up to were just in the 80s, you know, not too significant. But considering the short spring and whatnot, I think a lot of people would have just brought Romano in from the top. And I like that they gave him the opportunity to do it. And, you know, he deserved at that point a short leash, and that's what he got. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of criticism about Charlie Montoya, and we'll, we'll get into it later in the show. But I, I like the way that was handled. Yeah, I, I was totally fine with it. I think, you know, you know, there's a lot of hue and cry about, you know, the Kershaw perfect game where he was taken out. And, and this is obviously not a perfect game, but he was pitching extremely well. He, was, he would have been able to finish the game off the way he had been pitching. And I think it was also smart to have him on as short a leash as, as they did. Uh, the guy, I mean, I've already made a joke, but like the guy they turned to uh, uh, could be a problem. I know you wrote something about that this week. I assume we'll we'll get to that, but uh, uh, but yeah, I thought the managing there was 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 fine. I mean, I'm you know not uh, the, the bar is kind of low, I guess. Just to, <laughs> if we were like cheering them for letting a guy in, you know, with a, a pitch count in the 80s come in to face another batter in the ninth, 
But uh, but yeah, that was cool. It was fun. It was uh, uh, a shame that he couldn't close it out. But uh, but yeah, a really encouraging start, and and uh, you know, just looking exactly like the guy that they thought they were going to get. So that's uh, uh, so that's good. That's important. You don't want it <laughs> to not look like that. Yeah, especially at that level of investment. And I think that mm. decision and the managing is an interesting place to start today because I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking things. Maybe I'm not reading the room. But it seems to me the perception on Montoya has shifted a little bit over the course of just the beginning of the season. We're talking about 13 games here. Uh, and it's not like they've wildly exceeded expectations. Like 8-5 and five is obviously a good start, but it's not some incredible thing that's changed what we believe about this team. But there's been a couple of instances, uh, you know, Montoya, this decision I think was seen positively. Uh, and then there's a couple of instances of him showing a little bit of fire, for lack of a better term. Him talking about, you know, him getting thrown out of a game, something that rarely happens. Him kind of arguing balls and strikes. Having a bit of a hard line on the, you know, the the Vax rules and kind of the U.S. narrative about the home field advantage the Blue Jays are going to have and him pushing back against that. It's interesting because I think that the combination of that and the fact that his bullpen, uh, you know, hasn't blown any leads yet has created a situation <laughs> yeah. where people's thoughts about Charlie Montoyo feel, a li- you know, a little bit different than they would have, you know, this time last year and definitely kind of in the thick of the, you know, May, June, July when the bullpen was coming apart. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's an excellent point. No, he, uh, you know, it, it really doesn't, you know, I, like anybody else, I do enjoy it when the manager goes and gets his money worth, money's worth yelling at an umpire. Like, that's fun. And, you know, especially when it's at home, you know, people chanting Cito's name and when he would do that all the time and Gibby, obviously. But, you know, it, in my analysis of, of managers and what little we can do that, uh, that sort of thing, uh, whether he whether he does that or not doesn't matter at all to me. Um, but people who are not me absolutely uh, really want to see a manager get fired and have quote unquote have his players backs and uh, and they think it'll rain in the umpires or, or make them think twice about making bad calls and I don't I don't buy that sort of stuff and you know Charlie's sort of the mayor of Vibe Town and uh, and is is you know that's not really his job to be that kind of fiery guy. Um, but you do sometimes need to make sure your players don't get, be the ones that are ejected because they're the important ones. So, so sometimes it does sort of come in handy uh, to have a guy who's more willing to to put himself out there. But the, you know, we haven't seen any Jays players ejected this year. They're not really that sort of team, uh, which is fun. And yeah, I mean, I think they're uh, even even like ones that I think we could have called him on. I think there was uh, there was a game in New York where uh, they, they he let Bradley Zimmer. Uh, hit for himself instead of bringing in George Springer, who was uh, who was getting a day off and was available, um, and then immediately maybe it was at Skydome actually, but it doesn't doesn't matter. And and that did not work out well. Uh, and then immediately Zimmer made uh, a ridiculous catch, which sort of saved us from the Charlie discourse about that particular move, which I was very appreciative of. Um, but you know, even you know, in years past, that criticism probably still would have been there for that, even had Zimmer not made that catch. Um, so. Yeah, I think I agree that the people are are, are definitely um, warming up to Charlie, and it's it's easier to do when your team's like projected to win, you know, ninety plus games, right? Like it's uh, it's a good team, it's a fun team. He's you know he's he's done these little things that I think will endear him to people, but uh, you know, a couple of bullpen meltdowns or a couple of you know a couple of instances where he chooses not to jaw at the umpires when the, the strike zone is bad, and I think we could just be back to where we always are with him. 
Yeah, I, I don't think there's been a profound shift. I think there's been a small shift. Now, a small shift can become a big shift over a period of time. And if the Blue Jays have the kind of success that they're projected to have this season, you know, if they win the AL East or something like that, like then you might see that, you know, the level of forgiveness rise for any <laughs> foibles that should arise with Montoyo. Um, and the bullpen is such a big part of this, right? Like last year, he would the people were like, wow, they brought in I don't even want like Piams. They brought in Anthony Castro at this time. They should have brought it brought in like name other guy who wasn't good uh, here. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and you know, and I I got into some of that nitpicking myself. Like I'll admit that I've been critical of some of Montoya's tactical decisions, and we've discussed how those decisions don't exclusively belong to him, but he is the face of those decisions. Right now, you know, I'm not going to say this is an elite bullpen because I don't think it's an elite bullpen, but it's a much deeper bullpen. When you have guys like, you know, a David Phelps, who is sort of competence embodied, or, you know, Merriweather as guys you can bring in even when you're behind or in the fifth or sixth inning, there's just so much higher a floor for this group. Like you're never bringing in guys, unless you're really sort of punting a game and you're get, bringing in Sacedo because you're down by eight or something, or some of the appearances Trent Thornton has made, you're not, I can't, I'm not gonna say you can't go wrong because that would be an exaggeration, <laughs> right. but it's way easier to go right. And there are very few bad decisions out there to be made. Like if suddenly he decided that Trenton Thornton was his guy, the way he weirdly was at times in <laughs> 2021, that yeah. would be a problem, especially because of all these alternatives. But right now it seems like it's pretty, it's lined up pretty clearly. Like you can argue in 2022, do we need a defined closer in the mold of Romano? And we'll get to him a little bit later. You know, that's debatable. But right now, that's what they're doing. They're doing Romano a closer, and then they've got their big lefty is Meza, and their big righty is Jimmy Garcia. And then they've got a bunch of other guys who are pretty good as well. So uh, it's harder to criticize a guy when he's not tabbing people who are likely to get bombed for high leverage situations. <laughs> And, and, you know, a lot of times had no choice. And I think you're right. You know, people were nitpicking his decisions as they should have. You know, the bullpen was such a problem for them last year. Like, I don't think they're, you know, you can't just, you can't just be like, well, he knows better than us or, you know, anything like that. I think, you know, um, there were some weird decisions, but yeah, he absolutely, the group that he had to work with, especially, you know, because of the health issues um was was a major, major issue. They're also probably going to have Nate Pearson at some point as well, who's been throwing a bit um you know whatever that's going to end up looking like uh but that that would really add another dimension to the bullpen i think that that would be that would be good and and uh potentially good at least you know if we're seeing the good version of pearson but that's sort of down the road and and uh, even without him uh you're right yeah like having you know having richards and simber and the three guys at the back end which leaves you phelps and merriweather for you know games when you're behind or when someone has to come into the fifth or the sixth or something like that um that's a, it's a good setup. It's a good setup. Like they're not uh, they're not all like complete wipeout relievers, but they're they're very very competent. It seems, and, and yeah, the landmines should be uh, harder to or easier to avoid this year for sure. And then on the umpire umpire side of that, I mean, this is a few days ago now, but kind of a legendary ump show moment in Blue Jays <laughs> history with you know the Jeff Nelson game. And, you know, it's something that I generally try and get, you know, less fired up about than other people because, you know, you understand that 
these things happen and they can happen to any team and I'm not a conspiratorial type of thinker that way and you know all the things I could say about the fact that I consider myself to be a reasonable person uh but that <laughs> situation it was truly absurd you know the calls that were being made off the plate to all these right-handed hitters like the you know the zone was, had expanded to a place where hitting just wasn't tenable uh, and it really right. disadvantaged the Blue Jays in particular. Now, you probably could have made an argument that the Blue Jays should have pitched to that spot a little bit more and see if Nelson's insane zone would have been consistent. <laughs> um, but that didn't end up yeah. happening. Do you think that the combination of that and then, you know, umpire scorecards aren't a new thing, but it feels like they're a, a thing that's getting passed around a lot more now that, you know, robo-umps have always been a concept that's coming down the road. It feels like... They're closer and closer. And I don't know, if you asked fans last year, I think most people probably would have said, yeah, we're, we're down with robo-umps, but there would have been a section that's like, why take this human element out of the game? It's It feels, again, and sometimes we're in a bit of an echo chamber and it's hard to tell where sentiment lies, but it feels like that's something that shifted as well. I feel like the anti-ump sentiment uh, has been kind of at an all-time high in this first section of the Blue Jays season. Well, it's spring training for the umps as well, I guess. No, it's uh, I, I, you're right. I think the echo chamber is the thing you have to be careful about with this sort of stuff because, yeah, I don't really know. But it's uh, for Blue Jays fans right now, it definitely and the ones that I follow on Twitter and follow me. Um, I suspect, yeah, the the robo umps can't come soon enough. And frankly, you know, it's not it, it's not even a union thing, right? Like they, you would still need they, they wouldn't be replacing anybody. They would still need an umpire to physically yeah, stay. Their jobs there, would just get easier if anything. Yeah, they absolutely. Less to do. Yeah, there like there there should there should be no holdup on this, frankly. Um, but but you know it's a uh, you know there, we're starting to see I think stuff you know with the, with the pitch clock that's, that's being quite successful in the minors so far, and, and you know that's probably coming too. And it's like some of these you know, the DH now in the National League, like some of these traditional things are coming unglued. And um, and that's a prime one right now, I think, especially, you know, there are umpires who do a very good job and, and it, it's Angel not an Ham easy job. Hernandez absolutely nailed it last night. <laughs> he was well, I, very thought, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, he was really good. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's needless. Uh, and you do, I mean, people, you watch soccer and you see what VAR has become and, and how that, um, you know, it, it, it it's not everybody's favorite and it's sort of you know not necessarily in the spirit of the game sometimes when it's like oh like a guy's foot is is a millimeter offside and that it disallows a goal that really probably should be counted um you know but i don't think that that's what we're really going to be getting into here it's literally balls and strikes we see it on our tv screens right like and and that's i think that's probably why people would be are 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 as used to it as they are and are, are as uh critical of the umpires as they are you know the, the scorecards share on twitter but like really you you know it's when the when that when that zone is physically on your screen and you're seeing a guy call balls way off of it um it's just it just makes it that much more obvious that there's a problem i think you make a good point about the way sort of some of the traditional elements of the game are just getting chiseled away bit by bit and personally mm -hmm. i think it's an encouraging development because if you look at other sports, there has been a will, like you mentioned VAR and soccer, like there's been a willingness to tinker and baseball loves its own history so much. And that can be a good thing. And I don't want to be totally dismissive of that. Like there, it is kind of amazing how long baseball sort of in this form has existed and the part it's played in, you know, North American culture 
um, over an extended period of time, and it should be proud of that because it, it has a different mark on history than the NBA or the NHL or the NFL. That said, those leagues examine on a year-to-year basis what is going wrong with sort of the state of play. Like the NFL is terrible in almost every facet of everything. <laughs> From, yeah. you know, from morals to, I don't know, politics. <laughs> like there's, there's a lot of ways that we could unravel the NFL as an organization. But every year they go and they look at, okay, what do we want to officiate differently this year? Like what are going to be some points of emphasis? What are we going to change? Like the catch rule in the NFL was a disaster. No one mm. knew what a fucking catch was. And then they decided, <laughs> okay, let's make this rule something that people can understand. And, oh, like, the, you know, holding calls by offensive linemen. Like, this is something that really pulls back offense and do we really need it? And then they take the emphasis off of that and it changes the game. And baseball needs more of that attitude of, okay, and, and baseball does a ton of whining about the problems with the game, but that whining is followed by limited action. And so it is positive in my view to see the pitch clock come in to see you know the umpires potentially be replaced by robo umps and it's going to be interesting though because it's going to be one of those things where you blink and you miss it like baseball in 2025 for instance could look so much different just aesthetically even an ump not calling balls and strikes is a massive aesthetic difference even if it's a positive than the baseball you remember from 2010 like it it could even if the game doesn't change that profoundly from sort of a competitive standpoint the way it looks and feels is is on the way to very significant changes and i'm for those changes but it it's it's going to be it's going to come pretty quickly especially in the context of a league that has been so resistant to change yeah no i think that that seems like that's the way things are going and and you know, for the sake of the product, for the sake, you know, the sake of this, this, like this stuff that we do. I mean, baseball is not going anywhere. It's still an incredibly healthy sport, you know, in terms of, of dollars. But, but it, it's it, it doesn't capture the public the way that it once did. You know, um, man, it's it's just crazy to think of you know how much baseball I would just see around the like the streets of my town as a kid, uh, which just does not happen anymore. I mean, you see kids on like playing on the street, which you don't see anymore. So that's maybe part <laughs> of that. But like, uh, you know, and it's easy to get, it's easy to get romantic about it. And, you know, all these the pitchers trying to throw, throw a ball through an idea kind of was a quote that I always liked about the strike zone and why, why that, that makes baseball such a unique sport. But, but, you know, we're, you know, we see it, we have all this, all this data on it. We see it on our screens where the strike zone is. And that's, I think, uh, and the pitch clock stuff, I think, is, I mean, anything to make the games a little bit faster, I think, is a good thing. It's like, again, to go back to soccer, you know, I love I love that it's 45 minutes, no commercials, a couple extra minutes, 15 minutes at the half, and then another 45 minutes plus whatever added time. And then that's it. You're done. Uh, that's wonderful. That's a, that, that, you know, does, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to down, you know, obviously, I love baseball and, and watch it a ton. But you know some of these, especially you know with the Jays playing the Red Sox this week, and we got a bunch of Yankees games coming. Coming, it's like, well, is this going to be a four-hour one? Like how? Like how long is this going to take? Like and and that's it's great and it's entertainment and it's you know uh, all sorts of fascinating things. But sometimes you want to you know you want to get on with your day. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm yeah I'm with you. I'm for that. I'm for the uh, the robo umps and uh, uh, and more tinkering. Yeah, like I think that that's. It's it's we it's so disconnected, you know the history stuff. Like I said, you, you can, it's easy to get romantic about about it and about a lot of things about the game. But like it's 
you know, we can't even agree what the modern era is anymore. You know, the DH is now in both leagues. Uh, you know, integration was like halfway through the the record book, you know, that, you know, so you've got guys playing in all sorts of different conditions. You know, there was the, of course, steroid era. And, uh, you know, it's just the, they they lowered the mound. They've done all sorts of things over the years. It hasn't really been as resistant to change as I think people like to think sometimes. Uh, and that's made them hesitant to change uh, when we're living in a, a world where, it, it's probably healthy for it to 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 look and to find ways to make itself better and more appealing to fans. Yeah, and and a lot of the changes happened has been sort of a chaotic accidental change, and what the mm-hmm. league needs to do is kind of take hold of that. Um, one quote that always stuck with me was Jeff Sullivan, who used to be at Fangraphs and ended up um, working for the Rays. And he said to me one time, "Sometimes baseball is more fun to think about than it is to watch." And that that can be true with the modern day sometimes. And, you know, you and I do a lot of thinking about baseball. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably do a lot about a lot of thinking about baseball. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that quote shouldn't be remotely true because this is an entertainment product. (laughs) So if that quote is even close to true, then there's something that they're doing wrong. I do want to. I think it will, will, you know, the game needs to breathe. Right. Like you can't, you know. Yeah, it's not going to be basketball. No, no. And like you watch highlight packs and they're, you know, like boom, boom, boom. Like there's all this action that, that, you know, that was spaced so far apart. Uh, and, and the spaces are important, but I don't think they'll, they'll go away. I don't think we have to be afraid of that. Um, I just want to bring it back to Blue Jays just because, uh, yeah, that's a long time for not Blue Jays. I know what, I know, <laughs> I know why you guys are listening. Um, just like we're a little early in the season. I don't have a round number to peg to this. We're 13 games in, but I thought you and I could go through a panic meter one to 10 for some guys who, uh, haven't got off to the great greatest starts and an excitement meter one to 10 for some guys who have gotten off to fantastic starts. I'm going to omit Gosman from that list just because we discussed him at the top. Let's, uh, I'm known for being negative. I put out a pretty negative article today. So <laughs> let's start with a positive. And let's start with the story of the Blue Jays season cleanup hitter, Zach Collins. What is the excitement level of a <laughs> 1 to 10? Uh, oh, it's a it's like a 4 or a 5, which is which is pretty good considering who we're talking about. I mean, it, maybe it maybe it deserves to be higher. He's looked all right uh after looking completely abysmal and like he shouldn't be in a major league lineup, which uh uh, it's funny how if you give guys a little bit more time, sometimes you, you, you what you think about them changes. Um, but I I still get Juan Francisco vibes where it's you know the you know the the the, the pumpkin will come at some point, but you just kind of have to ride it while it's while he's here and hitting as well as he is. If we keep if it keeps going, uh, even better. Yeah, four was exactly the number that was on my mind with <laughs> with a player like this. I'm only going to get excited at a moment where he shows me something that I feel like he's never shown me before. Like we knew he could hit for some power. We knew he would swing and miss a lot. Both of those things have been true early in the season. I guess if you wanted to give him a little bit more credit, you could say that he's had some more competitive at bats against left-handed pitching than Mm -hmm. you might have expected. So that would be sort of the one thing that I could point to and say, oh, that's something new with Zach Collins. But at the end of the day, you know, this just looks like a hot streak to me. The Blue Jays, I'm sure, probably feel the same. Like if you cornered Ross Atkins and you gave him truth serum or whatever and said, how often do you see Zach Collins cleaning up for your club uh, for the rest <laughs> of the season? I don't think he would give you a very high number. So, yeah, I, I, you know, 
I don't think it's surprising that both of us are going to tell you to temper your enthusiasm about Zach Collins. Um, number two on my list is Jordan Romano. And I'll start that one off just because I did write something about it today at Yahoo Sports you can go look at. It's weird. You know, this is obviously a very convenient time for me to say that I'm a little bit concerned about Romano because he was <laughs> right. pretty shaky today. But um, coming into this game, for instance, the fastest pitch he had thrown, I believe he had thrown a pitch of that speed. I forget the exact uh, number. I think it was 97.7. That was the fastest pitch he'd thrown in 2022. Last year, he threw 230 pitches that were faster than that, about 4.5 per game or so. So that, like, that's a pretty decent velocity dip. Like He's at 96 on average as opposed to something in the 97s. And for a guy like him, who's not a, like, he's not a command guy. Like he, he just puts the, he puts the balls in there and generally yeah. guys can't hit him. And that's a good thing for him. And that's, you know, that works. He's an effective closer. He only has to face guys one, once through a lineup. I think he would probably struggle a lot if he had to turn over a lineup because he's a two pitch guy without a lot of subtlety in his game. But that velocity is uh, is a little bit of an issue. And the, the contact against him has been actually quite hard in the early going. He was pretty lucky to carry that zero ERA uh, until this game. And yeah, I don't know. It, it's not a panic situation. But like right now, we're categorizing him in a good start category, which he does deserve technically based on the results. But my excitement meter for him, I guess, would be one because I'm probably less excited for him <laughs> than I would have been otherwise, despite the fact he's locked down all these saves. Yeah, and it's been it's been great and you know the the, the mentality I'm sure helps and he's uh he seems to be well uh well equipped to be a closer. Um but yeah, he's just a, 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 he's not missing bats the way you would kind of expect uh or the way he has in the past and and as you point out, you know, the velocity just not quite being where it is. I mean, Yes, it was a short spring and and the, all sorts of things could be going on, but that's the, I think that's going to be something that that we're watching until the numbers creep up a bit or until the, the bats start uh, not making hard contact as often as they are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got, he's got the saves and that is to his credit. I mean, it's been unfortunate they've had to use him so often because they haven't really been blowing teams out the way that they, you know, should be able to with this lineup. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, in my excitement is yeah for the saves thing is is about a is about a one as well I have to say. Okay, so we got to give you someone on this list uh, that we can go <laughs> above four for. Uh, I think that guy is Alec Manoa. I know that it's a couple starts. He probably hasn't shown us anything too different than what he did as a rookie, but. I also think there's a little bit of a question about his ability to replicate his rookie season just because it was so damn strong. And also as a guy who works a little bit off deception, like it's weird to say that because he's sort of this huge guy and this horse, but his velocity is more <laughs> good than great. Uh, yeah. His command can be spotty. Like he walks guys. We've joked consistently about how he hits guys. He's still doing that. Um, and yet, he seems to get pretty soft contact due to sort of the movement of his pitches and the deception. And that's the type of thing that takes a little bit of time for us to know how real it is. Like that's something that could mm -hmm. be quite deceptive is the wrong word to use. Uh, could be <laughs> difficult to parse in a small sample. So I, I believe for Manoa, you have to be kind of comforted that he's come out at the beginning of 2022 and done the exact same thing. Like walking a few too many people, having that command be a little bit all over the place and yet, 
um, getting these whiffs and forcing soft contact once again and looking really strong. Yeah. Did you put a number on that? Did- I didn't. I- I'll give it a, <laughs> I'll give it a seven, I guess. Right? Okay. Yeah. Maybe a six would maybe be where I come down. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting and I think you're right. I mean, it's still so early. Uh, lots can happen, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's, I, yeah, I don't know. He's, uh, he, it, it's, it's strange because he sort of dry. He wasn't really high on the prospect radar for, for quite some time, despite being a, a really high pick and a guy, you know, people thought were, was, you know, the best college arm in his draft or the best college right-hander in his draft, uh, class. But, uh, so it's kind of been surprising, I guess, you know, obviously last year was surprising how quickly he got here and what, what he looked like. Um, but I'm almost, you know, I've almost fallen into like, well, yeah, this is just who he is. So it's, it's, it, uh, I don't know if there's more to come, if there's, you know, uh, you know, or if this is, but that, but it, he, there doesn't have to be like him just being, this is pretty great. And, uh, and I need a little more evidence before I'm really, really ready to conclude that it's just, we're going to, this is going to be what this guy is for a long time. But, uh, uh, yeah, it is. Okay. I'm going to bump it up to a seven. Even now we're agreeing on everything, but. But uh, but yeah, it is it is pretty exciting because you know, um, that's that's hard to come by. I mean, you know, we you watch the way Ryu's you know gone from you know in June last year to where we think of it now. It can it can all go away very quickly, uh, it seems, or potentially go away. And uh, yeah, to have a guy who looks like he's he's a horse, as you say, uh, who will be around for a long time, is a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah, I mean, I was on the radio a few days ago, and I remember being asked sort of, is Manoa going to be that ace guy, like that guy who sort of feared around the league? You know, he'd come off these really good starts. And in my head, initially, that question sounds kind of absurd because I think about a guy who doesn't really have the command. He's got the amazing mm-hmm. slider, to his credit, but the the fastball on paper is is good, but it's not out of this world. So I'm thinking, okay, here's a guy who probably walks too many guys, doesn't necessarily have the biggest command, and has one kind of amazing pitch, but his stuff isn't, you know, I'm not comparing his stuff to Jacob deGrom. So the idea of like, oh, this guy is going to be sort of an ace that is noted around the league as someone to be afraid of didn't hit me right. But then you look (laughs) at, you know, you look at his results, and if he continues to get that soft contact and we don't know for sure that that's going to be the case but if he can continue to do that and continue to miss bats like he has like I don't think he's an ace but the question is not nearly as absurd as sort of the components of his repertoire might indicate if that makes sense yeah no I think that uh, totally makes sense all right let's get negative uh (laughs) panic meter one to ten for some of the guys in the early season uh, I know he had a, a good game today, but Bobachet, uh has not looked impressive in the early going. Again, maybe not a guy who's showing us something he hasn't shown us before because we have seen slumps like this, but sort of the literally never walking and the strikeouts at this level and really not much power at all. Is there anything you've seen that makes you think differently about Bobachet? not really no i mean he's still he's just such a good athlete and i, I think I, I think it will come around um and like you say we've seen slumps like the panic meter is like a two for me i can't it can't be just it can't be a one uh because because it has been quite ugly i mean the, in on, in the field except for those couple of throws uh in boston there on on tuesday night whatever or wednesday whichever it was um other than that uh you know the the, the defense has looked quite good which is which is nice which is progress 
Um, and also we got to remember it's like the, the short and spring training. I mean, we're so we're starting to get to the point where we can't use that excuse anymore. Um, maybe it's Dante, maybe Dante needs to get, uh, get rehired. I don't know, but, but, uh, uh, and he wasn't, well, no, I guess he did work with Dante cause that's why he resigned in the, uh, in, in the wake of the lockout, uh, so that he could continue to work with Bo cause he wouldn't have been able to otherwise had he could still been employed by the Jays. Um, uh, maybe he needs him back in his corner. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, it just feels like the you know we the the Bowen two jokes are uh, are plentiful on Twitter these days because it happens a lot. Uh, but that is kind of who he is, and he's he's been able to make it really success, successful. Uh, you know, a five win guy last year, uh, while not being a, a great defensive shortstop, frankly, like or you know not an elite one. He was certainly an average one. Um, I don't think that just disappears, especially when you have you know the athleticism that he does and, and the ability to 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 you know control the zone that he does um yeah there's going to be a lot of swing and miss uh, but uh but that's just sort of that's who he is i don't have any doubts that he'll snap out of it at some point yeah i mean i've been probably more skeptical than most people about bachette all the way through in part because of how unorthodox the way he goes about hitting is mm-hmm. uh, and it's tough to sort of wrap your head around the idea that like this guy who sort of hits it's probably not an exaggeration to say perhaps unlike anyone I've ever seen before uh, is going to be as he just continued to have success over and over again. And I thought that coming into last year, there's probably too much buy-in that like, oh, he, this guy's a stud. He's amazing because he'd only played 75 games or something coming into 2021. But last year, over the course of a full season, and he played basically every game, I think he kind of proved it. And he had slumps like this last year. Like he is a volatile guy because he doesn't walk. He hits home runs, but not at an insane clip. So he's really about whether the balls he's spraying around the yard are falling in for hits. And he hits the ball hard enough that they often do. And he's fast enough to beat some stuff out. So yeah, whenever you have a player like that, whose production really comes from balls in play more than anything else, uh, yeah, you're going to have some swings. And I, I, I would put my panic at maybe a two. It would be good to see him elevate the ball a little bit more if you're going to nitpick uh, on this slump one thing mm-hmm. like it's been a bad approach issue but there's also a little bit of a launch angle issue that said yeah now is not the time to assume that Bichette's in for a disastrous season by any means I'll give it a one a guy who I'm pretty confident is not going to get a one is uh Cavan Biggio Ooh. <laughs> It'd be, yeah it would be hard to give uh I don't know coming into the year I felt like people were disproportionately down on Biggio. Like he's had a track record of succeeding in the major leagues, kind of despite some of his shortcomings. And last year felt like maybe it just was that throwaway year with all the injury disruptions and whatnot. But, you know, the Blue Jays didn't show much faith in him, to be honest. Like he, no. he got lifted so early in games whenever a left-hander was coming in. And I thought that he'd be getting given a little bit more rope than that. And, I don't know. I'm not going to say that that's what's affecting him and that he needs more run or whatever it is, but there's nothing he's done at the plate and, you know, pretty limited at bats to be fair, but there's nothing he's done to inspire confidence. That's for sure. No. And I think, you know, I think they haven't shown faith in him by just how much they're willing to play Espinal, right? Who is, who has completely deserved those, uh, those reps, right? Like it's, uh, you know, we came in thinking it was going to be more of a straight platoon kind of situation and that would give PGO the chance to play more than Espinal. I mean, obviously there's been injuries that have allowed both of them to get on the field a bit more, uh, but also, you know, you can stick PGO in the outfield and yet, uh, and yet Toppy is playing all the time, you know, we've seen Zimmer a little bit, Collins is at DH, 
Um, you know, these are guys that you would have expected a couple of years ago that Kevin Vigio would have, would have not had a problem uh, getting play in time in front of. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a bit of a thing. I don't think he's had a barreled ball yet. I think his maximum exit velocity is still under 100, uh, which is the only he's the only guy on the team. At the, I think unless that changed last night, which I don't think it did or this afternoon. I don't even know. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, yeah, he's just and this is the thing. And this is what the, the issue, I think, really is. And I know people have been down on him and people were you know, sort of surprised by that. Uh, and, and I think the, you know, looking at last year as a throwaway year made some sense but you know going back to what people were saying last year and many have been saying for longer than that is that you know a guy walks that much but he like he shouldn't if he's not able to do damage and bjo especially with the shift maybe that will help him maybe then you know when that gets banned um but you know he just he can't do damage it it does not seem you know he just doesn't strike the ball hard enough for it to justify pitchers you know being so careful with him and you know that just sort of uh the league sort of seems to have figured that out a bit and uh i don't know what the walk rate is right now off the top of my head but i suspect it's down again as it was down last year and uh even if it wasn't uh you know just the, when he puts the ball in play he's not doing anything with it and um I, and that seems to be kind of who he is and has been for a while you know i think but he you know he did you know, whatever his breakout in Double A was, he was hitting home runs or in Triple A in Buffalo. He was, you know, the, the the home runs. It doesn't feel like those are 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 close at the moment. And I, you know, you kind of doubt him at his peril, right? Or at your peril, right? Like he he was looked he looked like a busted prospect for a long time, or a non prospect, and then you know turned himself into uh, a guy people got excited about, and I think rightfully so. Like he had some really, you know, he had that great breakout year in New Hampshire. Uh, looked good in his first year in the big leagues. You know, looked like. Uh, uh, looked like he could be a guy. I think kind of unfairly got grouped in with uh, much more talented guys <laughs> because of the last name. Not right? good PR for him. Uh, <laughs> ending up so in much. kind of the Bo and Vladdy cohort. Yeah, I mean, it would it wouldn't shock me if he if he figured it out and started hitting the ball harder or figured out a way to to beat the shift more, maybe go the other way more. Or I don't I don't know, but uh, and you know I think they they obviously all along have loved you know they love his worth his work ethic is you know all that stuff they all always say. But you know his willingness to play other positions, versatility. Um, they certainly <laughs> clearly didn't want to. Uh, they, they didn't want to let him play third base again this year, which was smart. Uh, I think they've done much better in that regard. Um, but yeah, the panic level. I mean, in so much as it, it, you know, I couldn't panic about Kevin Biggio, which are probably not a whole lot. Um, yeah, that's a, that's like a solid six or seven for sure. Yeah, I would bring it up to an eight because I probably mm. had higher expectations for him than you did. <laughs> His power, it's funny, like his, he's still walking. He's walking like 14% right now. Yeah. Uh, but his power is so specific. Like in the first couple of years, he just yanked all these home runs, not tons, but his power, he just was able to yank these balls right down the right field line. And it was like a very specific stroke that mm -hmm. he was able to find. And he really hasn't found it since. I, I don't, I don't like it. Future Yankee. <laughs> uh, yeah, he could be a future. I don't like his swing. I never have. It, it seems like he kind of scoops at the ball and gets under it in a weird way. Um, I don't know. It, like you said, you kind of doubt him at your peril because he's come back before. It might be. And for a long time, people sort of described his fate as being kind of the ultimate utility guy. And maybe that's just what he's going to be. It is worth mentioning that like, Espinal hasn't really produced this year. Like for all the talk of his muscle mass increase and he's hitting the ball harder for sure and he's not getting great luck but you know Espinal's a guy who doesn't walk and doesn't 
hit for power, really, even if his power comes up a little bit. So I don't think necessarily that he's going to run a, like, run away with this job. Like If Biggio is able yeah. to put together really good at-bats over some period of time, then I could see him getting another look at being a second baseman on this team fairly consistently, p- potentially at least until the trade deadline or something like that. Like I think that in a lot of people's mind, he's sort of dead and buried, and I'm not sure there isn't another opportunity for him, especially if Espinal uh, doesn't take off. But it is telling, like you said, that they're willing to play a lot of Zimmer, a lot of Tapia, when they have some level of confidence that Biggio can play the outfield. Uh, you would have thought you'd see more of him in right field than we've seen thus far. And that I think that does go to show what the organization thinks of him a little bit at this point. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, Aurelvis is uh, is just around the corner. So. He's on his way. One guy who, <laughs> yeah, it might be the guy to take Biggio's crown, panic crown, would be uh, Ryu. Ooh, I know yeah. it, it's hard when a guy is on the IL because you could just say, okay, he's injured, but we've also seen him pitch pre this injury. We've seen him pitch down the stretch in 2021. And, you know, it was interesting to see Charlie Montoyo kind of I don't attack him would be too strong, but actively say, I'm not going to defend him. His location isn't good enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is me reading between the lines in an unfair way. But it, it seems like the team kind of bends a lot for him because he has a different routine and they try and get him days off. Like they got they put Stripling in for a start essentially to give Ryu extra rest at the expense of having, you know, better pitchers, to be honest, like Barrios and Gosman mm-hmm. and Manoa be on their regular schedule. And I feel like there might be some level of frustration with the idea that like we're trying to do everything we can to create this specific environment that Ryu is supposedly needs to perform at his highest level. And he's just not doing that or coming close to doing that. Yeah, it's a lot to ask when, you know, it, it's it's less to ask when it, when it's an ace and it's not it seems like a tough ask when it's a guy who's, you know, pitching like a fourth or fifth starter or worse at times. Right. Um, I think the injury obviously is a thing, and and you know we've talked about Ryu before. Like it, uh, you know, the it doesn't rely on stuff, so maybe that's maybe that's good. You know, the command not being where it is 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 is, uh, is definitely a thing. It's uh, you know, and you know, we always look at the numbers. You know, I was going to say like um, it could fall apart at any at any time. Nonetheless, I think that was a point you made the last time. Like the, even though he is not an overpowering guy. That doesn't mean that you know he's he's still riding the margins and the, for the last you know half half of last year and the start of this year he has been beneath the margins, um, you know I yeah the panic mode is pretty high on this one for sure um, which is a shame which I hate because you know I I hope it it works out better I hope he comes back and he can throw in the nineties at least if we can break ninety one wow that would be that would be incredible um, I think he could probably get by if he was locating okay uh with the stuff that he had before the injury or before the 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 il stint uh but he wasn't you know and you can't leave 88 miles an hour over the middle of the plate to a big league hitter like you just you can't do that and um we'll we'll see we'll i guess we'll see i mean there's two years you know there's this year and one more after this one left on the deal um you know next year will be a time where you know i don't think they cut bait with that much time left on it 
And I don't think we need to talk about it in that, those terms just yet, but there's not much you can do with him if he's below Ross, Ross Stripling, right? Um, so getting ahead of ourselves there, but yeah, I guess that is an indicator that the panic is, is, uh, is like a nine or, or maybe a 10. Uh, I, I hate to say, I hope, uh, I hope it's not true. I hope he comes back and looks as great as he did in 2020 and then started last year, but, um, not encouraging so far. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll go, I'll go 8.5. I'll be a little bit uh, more uh, optimistic. We'll avoid the uh, Seattle Seahawks comparisons this, this time around <laughs> in the discussion. Uh, the comparisons I will make are to Mark Burley and Marco Strada. Like those are two guys mm-hmm. at the Blue Jays who were incredibly effective until they weren't right. Like even yeah. in 2015, Burley looked fantastic for much of that year and then it really unraveled for him at the end to the point where he wasn't a part of this playoff push. And Estrada had some back injuries, but, you know, we used dealing with some arm injuries. Like, this kind of happens when guys get older. And, all you know, he was an amazing pitcher to watch who, like you said, he, he, he rode the margins. Like, Marco Estrada really rode the margins. And he had yeah. some, some kind of special vertical movement on his fastball. It was a little bit different. Um, he was able to get away with a few things that maybe Ryu can't. But as soon as things kind of flipped a little bit, they flipped all the way. And all of a sudden he was getting shelled pretty regularly. It's it's too early to say that like this is Ryu's fate 100% and there's no way out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he comes back from this injury and he feels stronger and the combination of the healing and the rest does a world of good for him. Maybe there's a mechanical adjustment for him out there. Clearly the Blue Jays are a team that's had success you know, guiding pitchers before. I mean, that's well documented. So it's tough. It's tough to, it's <laughs> yeah. tough. Like I'm, I'm kind of grasping on straws, arc, but yeah, I'm grasping at straws because I'm telling you things that could happen, but I don't have right. a specific reason to tell you why they will ha- like why I believe they will happen. These are just things that like, if you want to be, if you want to be optimistic about Ryu, here's some avenues to do that. But those avenues aren't backed by, evidence that i feel is that solid or that compelling and if you're trying to you know flip a coin on how you feel about ryu right now like the odds are that it's not coming up on the side you're hoping yeah sounds about right to me yeah all right let's let's leave it right there let's leave (laughs) it on a thud what a note (laughs) what an ending to episode 38 of blue jays happy hour a show that is often inappropriately named either by length or by tone. Today, it is both. So we appreciate you guys listening in and hope you continue to do so and leave us ratings and reviews and all that good stuff. And we'll see you later. 